Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. My name is Katie. I'm the Content Marketing Manager with ClearanceJobs.com, and today we have Dale Davidson joining us. He is the author of Going 1099, How to Become a Solo Federal Subcontractor and Gain Control of Your Working Life, Earn Money, and Unlock More Free Time. So Dale is also a contributor at news.clearancejobs.com, so you can certainly go there and read a few of his articles. But I'm really excited to have you on the line today. We are going to talk about being a 1099 and working in the security clearance world. So thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks, Katie. I really appreciate you inviting me to the show, and I'm looking forward to sharing what knowledge I have with your listeners. Sure. And so I'm kind of entering this conversation without any prior knowledge, so I'm excited to learn more. But I thought that we could start just some easy tips uh, or the different steps on how to become a 1099 working in this world. All right. Uh, Well, I hate to disappoint everyone who thinks it's super easy, but the number one tip I have is do the paperwork last and instead focus on getting your first client. The current resources when you search online are really focused on things like, oh, how to form an LLC and get business insurance, or if you're in the federal contracting space, how to bid on a government contract. And most most of that stuff is irrelevant to you right now. What you should focus on instead is getting your first client. That's so interesting because I would think with going through sort of all of this IRS sort of new working world and not a W-2 that the paperwork... That would be the first on my mind, but it sounds like some folks get that wrong. (laughs) I'm not going to say it's not important. Obviously, you're going to need to pay your taxes, which we can discuss in a little bit. But if you don't have any customers, there's no point in doing all that paperwork. So let me tell you about how I became a 1099. I was working for a small federal contracting firm. I realized I wasn't a great employee in the sense that I never bought into the culture of any place I worked really. I was also tired of like how slow the promotion process was. Uh, But I was assigned to a project with an intelligence agency. I developed a good relationship with the client who liked my work and wanted to keep me on for some follow-on work. And I knew that. And with my company, I knew they had the ability to do 1099 contract work on my contract because there are other people doing it. So what I did was I figured out what I would need to bill them to make it worthwhile to me financially. I made a plan to talk with my boss and the program manager to make that happen. And eventually I made that switch. After we had that agreement, I then figured out how to do all the paperwork, which involved forming an LLC, getting some business insurance, all that. But in the end, that was actually relatively trivial compared to doing all the work to get that first client. Sure. So for those listening who may have felt that they're on the hamster wheel in terms of working in defense contracting, if you're working for the federal government and you also feel like you're on a hamster wheel, it sounds like becoming your own boss could be an excellent option to still doing this really important work. So I I, I should say I have been a 1099 previously, but it was not in a security clearance capacity. And so I'm sure that there are considerations. Um, For example, if uh, Prime should still hold your clearance if you're working as a 1099. So 
tell us a little bit about those sort of sort of quirks within this world. Yeah, uh, I have my share of experiences with the security clearance stuff, and pretty much all my work has been uh, on cleared work as a 1099. Um, when I first started, I was really concerned because I had an investigation that was coming due, and it was very it was very nerve wracking. But what I learned over time that if you follow a few key guidelines, this whole process can be manageable. It's not that there's no risk, but uh, you can manage the risk. Uh, so like you mentioned, one of the tips I have, and it's actually not a tip, it's necessary, is that at least one prime contractor or a contractor that has the ability to hold your clearance should do so and take an owning relationship in DISS. And what that means is that they will be able to make inquiries on your behalf about your clearance to the customer. They can submit you for investigation or reinvestigation, log your foreign travel, et cetera, et cetera. As an independent 1099, you won't have the ability to do that. So it's important that you have a relationship with a company that can do that for you. Uh, so that's the number one step, and that should keep you active. The other big tips I have is to be much more proactive about your security clearance. As a W-2 employee, you probably have a facility uh, security officer that's watching out for key things because uh, the business has an interest in making sure your clearance stays up to date. As a 1099, you're not on the radar as much with the prime contractor. So you kind of need to be on them uh, in a polite and professional way, obviously, about uh, learning the status of your clearance, learning when your last uh, investigation closed, whether you've been recently adjudicated, uh, and whether you've been enrolled in continuous evaluation, those key facts that will help you manage the process as you move forward. And the third thing is just to kind of expect things to go wrong and never make assumptions about whether clearance process related activities will go quickly. I'll give you an example from 2020. I had recently agreed to start a project with uh, DHS and their intelligence group. I wasn't currently working on a project, but I, I was recently adjudicated with an intelligence agency. So I thought, oh, this should be a quick crossover. I, I was I'm freshly adjudicated, recent investigation, et cetera. After about two months, I really began to worry that uh, I haven't been approved. And during this time, I wasn't assigned to a project, so I'm losing money every month, maybe like $20,000 a month as far as lost revenue and opportunity cost. And what I found out was that because I have a foreign national uh, in my family, it's my mother, even if you were recently adjudicated in the reciprocity process, it does, it's not automatic. DHS has the right to review uh, my package independently for that reason. There's all these exceptions built in. Uh, in the end, that took about five months to cross over. And by that time, I found another project. So it just didn't, uh, it didn't work out. So it's just very slow. So I always like to give the advice to not leave your current project if you're on one or current job, if you're still a W-2 employee until you have a confirmed start date on your next project. So it's just being a little more conservative about your assumptions and uh, not leaving a sure thing until you have another thing that's actually a sure thing. Don't just assume it is. Sure. And man, those suitability criteria for those law enforcement agencies, they really <laughs> get the best of people. And that, that's great advice. Don't leave as a W-2 unless you have, don't put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. But I'm interested, right. you know, at keeping a relationship with a prime contractor to hold your clearance. There are on clearancejobs.com part-time 
cleared work. And so I feel like that's a good option. But would you have any notes there? Because I mean, obviously don't burn bridges when you're leaving different employers because you want to keep mm-hmm. those, maintaining mm-hmm. those relationships. But what what are your tips there? They will, if you actually secure a 1099 role that is on a cleared project, uh, they will need to hold your clearance in some capacity, whether uh, it's an owning relationship or a servicing relationship. The owning gives them a little more privileges as far as submitting an investigation, whereas a servicing relationship will allow them to uh, just get you onto the project. And as far as tips to get them to do all this stuff for you that you can't do for yourself, it's honestly not a real big deal. I I would just get in touch with the program manager and their facility security officer uh, and basically say, hey, I am an independent uh, contractor. I don't have the ability to manage my own clearance. Would you be able to hold this for me? So long as we have a, a good relationship, I don't know if we'll always have a project. Um, but it would be great if you could do that. Worst case, they can say no, but it, honestly, it's not a big deal. You're, there's no reason they would say no unless they're particularly concerned about some r- regulation or something, which there isn't, but in, in their head, it, it might be. But uh, it's really just as simple as that. Just saying, hey, can you hold it? Can you tell me a few things about my clearance? And can you submit my investigation? Things like that. Okay. And so you mentioned revenue. And so how much more can you actually make as a 1099, because obviously you're going to have a lot, you're going to be managing your own clients and doing a lot more BD. So, but how much more in terms Mm -hmm. of, you know, time you're putting in and how much you can actually make as a 1099? That's a great question. So on the low end, I estimate you can make at least 20 to 25% more on the high end. I think it could be closer to double. And currently, based on what I've tested in the market for my own skills, which is uh, kind of business intelligence, tableau development, I'm probably making on average 50% more than I would as a W-2 employee. Um, And this is after all the taxes, healthcare, uh, et cetera. And the main thing to consider here is that the federal contracting world's a little bit unique in the sense that contracts last a lot, a really long time. Uh, so you can land a contract or be on a contract where you basically have a full-time job for multiple years, but instead of the prime capturing the full billable rate, you know, however much they're charging, $100, $150, $180 an hour, uh, you can capture most of that for 18, you know, however many hours per year you work, 1,800 hours or something like that. Uh, so I would say on the very conservative end, probably 20, 25% more and on the high end, maybe double while you're working. Now, the key thing to worry about is being in between projects. So I had a project after my first project ended, I was scrambling for uh, another 1099 role. And I happened to find one in the same agency with another company. It was a good fit, but it took me a couple months to get the paperwork done. And I had another uh, security clearance issue. It was still at the same agency. I was still actively badged, but because they said I had an open investigation, they had to manually review my paperwork. So I could literally get into the building and get into all my accounts. But and I, I was standing in front of a uh, security officer there. I said, hey, what, what's the deal? And they're like, well, we just have to review it. I said, I'm literally in the building looking at you uh, and, I, and you're, you're not kicking me out. So what's the deal? So what happens there is you're uh, you're going two months without work and you during that time you could be earning you know 
15, 20,000 a month. And that's the part that gets nervous. You got to worry about the in-between uh, project stuff, not so much how much you're making while you're working. Okay, sure. That makes sense. That, that's probably why I'm not a business owner. It just sounds like it would completely <laughs> derail my mental health. <laughs> <laughs> it, it depends. I think uh, there's a few, I, I talk about this in my book, but um, your first probably task when you get your first gig is to save up reserve fund just in case uh, something like that happens. I recommend probably saving about a year's worth of uh, income as soon as possible, just expecting that to happen. And you kind of have to be prepared to kind of look for a new job every one to two years. I would, that's how I would think about it. And, you know, it's, it's not for everyone. Um, there are definitely some nerve wracking times when like I was, I was waiting for a security clearance to cross over and then I had my first kid and I said, Ooh, do I have to take a job? And, yeah. uh, it's, uh, it's not for everyone, but, uh, I think for the right personality, for the right uh, people who know how to manage their risk, I think it's a great option. Well, and for you millennials who are already switching jobs every one to two years, <laughs> it might make sense for you. <laughs> but, you know, speaking of mental health completely being derailed, let's let's talk about tax considerations when you do eventually file with the IRS and some things to note there. Yeah. Uh, so there are a couple main things you need to watch out for. Uh, one, the big one is that no one's withholding taxes for you anymore. As an employee, you, you're used to getting a paycheck every two weeks or so, and you'll get a pay stub and you'll say, hey, this is the company withheld 20%, 30% of my income, and then I just fill out the information, uh, my tax return in the following year um, based on the, on the form I receive. As a 1099, what's gonna happen is you have to actively pay the government uh, every, every quarter or so, or actually just every quarter. So they call these estimated taxes. So based on what you project your income will be for the year, you divide that into four and then pay that every quarter. So the current schedule is April around April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and then January 15th the following year. And it's honestly not a, that big of a deal. The hardest part is estimating how much you think you'll make. But to be safe, you could probably just say, take 30% of what you think you'll make, divide that into four, and then make those payments. That that makes total sense. So when you are working as a 1099 and a security clearance on a program, and then maybe, you know, eventually you do want to find some other W-2 work, maybe you have a lull in finding clients to work with, or you, you just want the stability and the security, let's say you're expanding your family and you're just like, okay, I just need a, a W-2 role. I just need someone else to do the work for me. When I was recruiting, I never really saw, and this would be my my gut reaction, don't note whether a job is W-2 or 1099 on a resume. A job is a job, unless you, you had like a bunch of different projects in one year and you're like, okay, I don't want this company thinking that I just could not maintain my job. So how would you say, in your opinion, that recruiters look at 1099 experience whether that's on a resume and what your recommendations would be there or when you eventually get to that interview? In my experience, it's pretty much been a non-issue. And what I do now is I list my company uh, as, you know, from whenever I started in 2015 to present. And then I just list the projects, the relevant projects I've done and the skills I bring to the table. So I help client X achieve this result Y or something like that. And I'm, as, as someone with a TSSCI and a CI Poly, 
honestly, it hasn't been an issue. I get like inbound every day from, uh, from recruiters and they don't even know that I'm a 1099 employee or I'm a, you know, I work for myself. Uh, they just see my company now is custom analysis. So they just see, oh, this guy works for custom analysis. They don't know that I own the company. I would structure your resume where you put whatever your company name is at the top and then list the projects you've done as a 1099. And that's the most relevant part. Uh, I'll also say that uh, while you may be looking for a W-2 employment uh, when you're talking to the recruiter, if you get to the point where you have a conversation or interview with the hiring manager or program manager, you can actually bring up the 1099 uh, option again. And sometimes program managers might prefer that or have more flexibility around that that the recruiter didn't know about. Because a lot of recruiters are focused on getting full-time employees, as, as you know, full-time W-2 employees. So um, I actually detail that as one of the chapters in my book. is like how to convert a traditional job application process into a 1099 role. I love that. And, you know, mentioning the 1099 work to a hiring manager or program manager whenever you get past the recruiter, I think is good anyway, because even if, if they aren't open to a 1099, it could just mean that you have expanded responsibilities or they know of someone else who is, you know, looking for your skill set or something like that. So that that's, that, that's a great mm -hmm. tip. So uh, from our conversation, and I know that you've written about this at news.clearancejobs.com, five lessons on managing your clearance as a contractor, making sure that a prime contractor owns your clearance, being proactive about validating your security clearance information that reciprocity, don't assuming your clearance will cross over in a timely manner and don't ever assume anything will ever go quickly. And then lastly, not leaving your current project until you have an in-doc date on your new contract or with that new client. So those are, those are five great tips. So you mentioned your book. Uh, it sounds like you have, you have a ton of other little golden nuggets in there for working as a 1099 in the security clearance world. So uh, tell us a little bit more about your book, where folks can find it, and any closing thoughts or tips you'd like to share here. Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote this book because over the years, I've had a lot of people come up to me after they found out I was working for myself and go, hey, how did you pull this off? Like, what steps did you take? And then they immediately go into that, oh, but did you form an LLC and blah, blah, blah. And after enough time, and when I was in that lull, uh, when I didn't have a project, I was waiting for my security clearance to cross over. I was like, okay, I'm going to write the book that tells people how exactly to do this. And I developed it as a resource and also a guide for people who are interested in becoming a 1099, but don't know where to start, or they may have specific concerns about things like a security clearance or admin or whatever. Um, and I and I try to write the book in a very conversational tone to guide people to determine, A, whether they should even really become a 1099 based on their risk profile, their desires for their uh, professional life and their personal life. And then I give them very specific techniques and strategies to get their first gig and then do all that paperwork stuff later. Um, and the promise I make is that you know, you can get control of your working life, make more money, have more free time, etc. cetera. Uh, I think the bigger picture is that I give you options about where to take your government contracting career, 1099 being one of them, and I give you a plan to execute it. Um, and you can actually find the book on my website, 1099bedhub.com. 
I have a nice table of contents there that lists kind of all the chapters and uh, what exactly you'll find. But if you're interested, you can also email me directly at dale at 1099fedhub.com. Wonderful. I was going over your website and yeah, definitely a good resource to have if you are looking for a creative, a new career within the government contracting space. So we appreciate you joining us for the podcast today, but for more information on, you know, security clearance news, working as a 1099 or anything else in the government contracting space, you can visit news.clearancejobs.com. 